Examining the issues of the day and the news of the world through a Christocentric lens. This is Kairoscope. From the Shepherd's Voice Studios of Good Shepherd Church in Metairie, Louisiana, here's the host of Kairoscope, the Reverend Randall Graff. And that is indeed me. I am the Reverend Randall Graff, host of Kairoscope, and I thank you for joining in today for this initial, inaugural, very first, I don't know how many other synonyms there are for it, the uh, episode number one, Kairoscope. You say, now what is a Kairoscope? Why did you name your podcast Kairoscope? Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. You've probably heard of a microscope. You know what that is. It gives you a lens, right? It gives you an opportunity to look at something that's very, very small that you couldn't necessarily see with your naked eye, but it allows you to see it up close, actually. And you're probably familiar with a telescope, right? That lets you see something from very, very far away that you wouldn't necessarily be able to to see with any uh, real clarity unless you had the assistance of the lens of the telescope. Well, a chiroscope is, uh, well, it's, it's the ability to look at the issues of the day and the news of the world and to do, th- do so through the lens of historic biblical Christianity. It's a Christ-centered lens or a Christocentric lens for being able to look at things. Now, you might have even heard of the term uh, gyroscope, right? The gyroscope is some kind of a three-dimensional gizmo that a ship's captain may have on the ship that helps him steer the vessel, making sure that he's always going in the right direction. I want you to think of Kairoscope as one of those sorts of gizmos to it, giving you an opportunity to think about some of the things that are going on in the world around us that might actually help steer your life toward what it is that God would have you do and toward the life that God would have you live. So I still haven't answered, have I? Cairo, what the heck is Cairo? Well, some of you might actually be familiar with the uh, Cairo symbol. You might have been in a church or around some sort of uh, Christian something or another uh, and seen these Greek emblems, Kai and Rho. Those are letters of the Greek alphabet. The Kai is represented by the letter, what we would call the letter X, and the Rho typically looks like a P, and so you may see the X superimposed over the P, and that would be the Cairo emblem. Those are the first two letters in Greek of Christ. Christ, yeah. So, Kairoscope, again, taking a Christocentric lens to the news of the world and the issues of today. And we've got some stuff that we're going to cover today. Uh, Let me introduce you to my in-studio guest and co-host today. That would be, well, there's no one actually. You know, when I wanted to start this podcast, a lot of people said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. I want to do that with you. And as luck would have it, nobody, nobody had the time to do it this time around. But listen, uh, Actually, we do have some guests lined up in the future for this, so it's not just going to be me rambling. Uh, You'll hear some other people rambling, too. But on this show, here's some of the stuff I'm going to be rambling about. Out of the gates, we're going to be talking about uh, an article I found from Relevant Magazine that talks about eight things Christians need to do more of on 
social media. You know, social media is one of those interesting sorts of things in our world today. It's uh, ever-present. You can't really escape it. If you could, you'd probably have a happier life. Uh, I know some folks who gave it up for Lent, and they seem to do quite well without it. But we're going to take a look at that article from uh, Relevant Magazine and see what they have to say about Christianity and social media. We're also going to look at, believe it or not, pornography. That's right. Pornography. I've got some uh, interesting data to share with you from Charisma News Magazine as well as from uh, Barner Research. Uh, in particular, pornography as it uh, as it relates to Christianity and in uh, how it relates to the clergy. Yikes. Yeah, that's going to be interesting stuff. And we're also going to take a look at what's going on with those crazy kids on those crazy college campuses these days. So we've got a lot in store for you on this inaugural edition of Kyroscope. Again, I'm your host, the Reverend Randall Graff. Blessed that you have come on board. Let's get all under... Uh, well, let's get over. Let's. I don't know what we're going to do. Let's just get. Let's do it. Uh Relevant Magazine recently published an article entitled The Eight Things Christians Need to Do More Of on Social Media. And it comes right out the box and says that the Internet doesn't have to be a terrible place. Interesting, because it really doesn't have to be. And the fact of the matter is, most of us are, in my estimation, slaves to this Internet world that we live in. So it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But for so many of us, it just becomes such a bad thing. And part of that is because of social media and our dependence on it. Yeah, just, you know, the the research that is coming out that's starting to show that people can actually get addictions to social media. The thumbs up and the likes and the loves and those sorts of things that actually have some sort of a weird influence on our brain and, and cause dopamine to, to surge, uh, which is a, a neurotransmitter that's involved in experiencing uh, satiation and pleasure and such. But anyway, uh, this article from uh, Relevant Magazine tells us that it truly is possible to live and love like Jesus on social media. Apparently, the author of this article has not seen my Facebook feed, because I don't think that, despite the fact that it's filled with tons of Christians, I'm not so sure they're living like Jesus would live on social media. Now, what would Jesus do? Probably a dumb question to ask, because... Well, folks, 2,000 years ago, we didn't have computers. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have social media. But we still can extrapolate to uh, living a Christ-like life and uh, doing things that glorify God. And social uh, media probably needs to be one of those places where Christians need to do that. The author of this particular article says that, number one, what we need to do is we need to strive for connection not attention. Strive for connection, not attention. In other words, uh, there's basically two reasons that we would go on social media. One is to connect with other people. That would be a good thing, according to the author. The other is that we need attention. That would be a bad thing. Why? Because we'll just keep up in the game, right? If we get attention for doing one thing, there's a good chance we're going to repeat that, whether it was a good thing or not, or there's a good chance that we're just going to take it to another level. So connecting, not a bad thing, but you know what? I'm going to throw something else in there. You can also connect without social media. But social media, since that is the topic at hand here, for connection purposes, not for attention purposes. Number two, the author says, is to be transparent, but not too transparent. Well, 
that's spoken like a true, I don't know, I don't know if this person's an attorney or what, but that's that's some really good advice. Be transparent on social media. Just don't be too transparent on social media. Uh, author goes on to say that Jesus revealed personal information to his disciples, not to everyone. Well, that's probably true, but again, um, you know, let's 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 not take that too far. Jesus, um, Jesus of the Bible did not have a social security number that could be uh, stolen from the dark web. But uh, all right, well, I'll let that one pass. I'm going to be honest with you. There's some parts in this article that I they're questionable. I don't know. Number three, ask yourself: Could I say the same thing in front of someone? someone else and i you know i i think that is that's that's probably the first of uh the good points here that i think this author really drives home think about that when you're posting in social media are you a keyboard warrior who's hiding behind the screen you know uh, particularly if you're in a forum where nobody really knows who you are and if there's any uh anonymity about it you know are you willing to go out and say what you say on social media if you were standing in front of the same people? Or, as we used to say uh, when I was in a college fraternity, would you say or act that way if you were in front of your mother or your grandmother? I think these are a good tried and true, true tests uh, that apply uh more so today than ever before, perhaps, particularly with social media. The fact that um, we need to be careful and recognize that our words really do reach people. Number four, according to the author, don't buy into the say-what-needs-to-be-said culture. Hmm. Say-what-needs-to-be-said culture. Uh, a better way to get a message across is to say what needs to be said, but also to live it in real life. In other words... Making our life that we live reflect the words that we post. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, one of the things that Christianity, Christians, uh, get accused of, not infrequently, is being hypocrites. You know what? We probably, we're, we're, we're probably guilty as charged on that a lot of times because we don't necessarily walk the talk. We don't necessarily live the life that uh, we preach. Think about it this way, uh, just in terms of, you know, because this is where I come from, clergy. Think of clergy. How many clergy have we seen take the fall for not walking the Christian walk? They may be preaching great, great messages. They may be helping lots of people. Maybe they have a huge ministry. Maybe they have a small ministry. The fact of the matter is they're doing good work. But something happens and they fall. Maybe it's adultery. Uh, maybe it's a porn habit. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's a divorce, which is, you know, a fairly common thing in our society today. Um, and listen, folks, none of these things uh, are, you know, clergy are not exempt for any, from any of these things. Clergy can be addicted to drugs. Clergy. We're going to find out in a few minutes when we get to another segment of the show. Have problems with pornography. Clergy have marital issues, presuming they are married. And if they're not married and they're having marital issues, that's an even bigger problem now, isn't it? So uh, these these real-life things do happen even to 
men and women of the cloth. Number five, listen, or rather learn to listen better. And I think that we can all put an exclamation point behind that. Uh, The author goes on to say, when people see a status they disagree with, they're quick to state their opinions in the comments. Well, that is kind of what the comment section is about. But this disables us from listening, and I would agree with that. In real life, we have to wait our turn to, to speak. But with comments, we, can have, we, we simply have to scroll down. And, and that's a pretty good point, and I think it ties into number three, too. Uh, quick to comment, but before we do that, maybe stop and ask ourselves, would we say this in front of Grandma? Is, is this the person we want to present ourselves to be? Uh, The author says, rather than being quick to voice your opinion, digest the words you're reading first. I'll tell you something else. Sometimes it's smart to just walk away. I mean, the thing about the Internet today, you can go back and delete something, but you can't really ever get rid of it. You know, uh, too many folks, uh, I'm thinking of politicians in particular at this time, have put things in their social media feed only to take them down later, only to realize someone has got a screenshot of it. It doesn't go away. It has the potential to always be out there. We do need to learn to listen better, and we need to think before we post. Number six of the eight, uh, avoid stirring the pot with articles that you share. Um, uh, avoid stirring the pot. I'm going to tell you, perhaps I should have thought about that before I started this particular uh, podcast. Um, When you do this, the author says, you can run the danger of making your beliefs purely about arguing opinions rather than living for Christ, which is a bad message to send to unbelievers. You know what? I second that motion. That is exactly correct. We don't want... Uh, to appear as if we're arguing for the sake of arguing, we do want to appear as if we do really have Christ living in us, if that's what we truly believe. And as cliche as it may sound, maybe we do need to ask ourselves, in this particular situation, what would Christ do? How would he handle it? What might he say to this? You don't need to stir a pot to show people Christ, the author says. And... Uh, uh, again, I think that's some good advice. Second to last, number seven on the list, no racist comments. Goodness gracious, do we really need to say that in the 21st century? No racist comments. Apparently, apparently we do. We do. We need to remind people. Not, you know, there's something that can get lost in the message here. Hey, don't, don't say racist things on social media. How about this, Christian? Don't be racist. Think about that for a moment. It's not just about hiding something that is sinful. Don't be it. Don't be it. Get help if that's something you're struggling with. Talk to your priest or pastor or someone that you trust in the faith if that's an issue. Racism has no place. Number eight, avoid being mean to bloggers. I suspect that this fine author over on relevantmagazine.com is a blogger but interesting stuff there coming out the gates we're going to be coming back in uh just a moment or two after we uh we take a a bit of a break and we're going to be talking about pornography and the church and we're also going to be talking about what's going on these days in these uh these crazy college campuses uh and i'm going to tell you what my opinion on this matter is it's not necessarily the campuses 
or the kids rather that are so crazy it might be uh, the folks that work on these campuses maybe it's the professors maybe it's the administration and maybe as Christians or maybe not even as Christians just as Americans we might need to be a little bit more cautious careful and aware of what we're sending our children into when we send them out to these colleges. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that uh, and a lot more coming up still on Kyroscope. Again, I thank you for joining us on this very first edition, episode one of Kyroscope, where we take a Christocentric lens to examine the issues of the day and the news of the world. Back with more after this. Don't go anywhere. in the greater New Orleans area and you're searching for a church home that teaches and preaches God's word without compromise, features traditional liturgical style worship, offers Sunday school for children and adults, and is made up of individuals and families that love God and love each other, then Good Shepherd Church is where you should be. Sunday morning services and midweek Holy Eucharist each Thursday evening. Good Shepherd Church. 5122 West Esplanade Avenue in Metairie and online at gscmet.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Kyroscope. If you like what you're listening to and you'd like to support this media ministry, go online to kyroscope.com, C-H-I-R-H-O-S-C-O-P-E.com and press the donate button. Thanks and blessings from Kyroscope. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. If you live in the greater New Orleans area and you're searching for a church home that teaches and preaches God's Word without compromise, features traditional liturgical-style worship, offers Sunday school for children and adults, and is made up of individuals and families that love God and love each other, then Good Shepherd Church is where you should be. Sunday morning services and midweek Holy Eucharist each Thursday evening. Good Shepherd Church, 5122 West Esplanade Avenue in Metairie and online at gscmet.com. From the Shepherd's Voice Studios of Good Shepherd Church, here's the host of Kyroscope, the Reverend Randall Graff. And I thank you for sticking it out and returning with us for uh, part two of this edition of Kyroscope. Very first edition, in fact, episode one of what we hope will be uh, a continuing uh, examination of the issues of the day and the news of the world as we apply a Christocentric lens to the things that we look at. Uh, what we're going to look at next is some pornography. 
wow, that didn't uh, that didn't come out right now, did it? All right, let's uh, let's let's regroup on that. Uh, Charisma News recently published uh, an article entitled uh, 15 Statistics About the Church and Pornography That Will Blow Your Mind. I want to share some of that data with you, and I'm going to back it up and beef it up a little bit with some uh, some information and some data that the uh, Barner Research Group also recently published uh, about uh, pornography, and in particular, pornography as it relates to uh, Christianity and the church and stuff. In case you have been uh, living under a rock and you didn't know this, the internet is filled with not nice stuff. Uh, and a lot of it, in fact, is is what we might call pornography. Now, but what's interesting about that is Charisma News tells us that even though over 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites... That uh, in actuality, many Americans, actually it's Barner Report that tells us this, uh, many Americans have difficulty actually defining what porn is. That's, that's almost hard to believe unless you're coming at this from a perspective of total denial. As you sit there and wonder, well, well, is it what I explored in the... Six minutes and 29 seconds of my stay at that website. Is that what they're talking about? Where did I get the six minutes and 29 seconds from? Uh, again, this is a statistic uh, that is reported by Charisma News. Of those 40 million Americans that regularly visit pornographic sites on the Internet, the average visit lasts six minutes, 29 seconds. Which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of kind of quick, isn't it? I mean, is it just me? Here's what I'm thinking. When I, I get on Wikipedia, I can lose a day. I mean, it's just like a rabbit hole. So, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that happens too. Uh, I haven't sorted through this data well enough. Maybe it's 6 minutes and 29 seconds for an average for each site and it goes elsewhere. I, I don't know. I don't know. Making that part up. Uh, there are around 42 million porn websites. That totals around 370 million pages of porn, according to this report. And catch this. You don't think the porn industry is huge? Check out this statistic. The porn industry's annual revenue is actually more than the NFL, the NBA, and the N- MLB combined. You take the annual revenue of the National Football League, you add in the annual revenue of the National Basketball Association, you add in the annual revenue of the Major League Baseball League, and but that's kind of redundant, right? The Major League Baseball League, the MLB. Combine that with the NFL, the NBA, the porn industry's annual revenue still higher absolutely crazy absolutely crazy it's big folks it's it's uh it's big let me uh let me switch reports here move on over to the barner research and uh see what they have to say about this uh number one out of the gates one of the things they do say as i was referencing earlier is that uh porn is notoriously difficult to define for americans they say it's more of a question of form 
rather than function. What does that mean? More of a question of form than function. Well, here's what it means. Uh, They define porn mostly based on the function it serves. That's for the purpose of sexual arousal. Most Americans believe that full nudity or even partial nudity uh, don't necessarily qualify to be porn based on that sort of functional definition because it does not uh, necessarily result in some sort of a physiological arousal of sorts. Number two, according to the Mona research, is that people use porn for the obvious reason, arousal, but they also use it for other reasons. Some of those other reasons cited include boredom, curiosity, and fun. Now, I'm not sure how they differentiate it. Fun from arousal. Uh, because, well, I don't know. I'm not even going to extrapolate on that because that's just going to be a little bit too much information, I guess. But what's interesting about this is that uh, Borner reports that younger adults and teens are more likely than older adults to use porn for boredom, curiosity, and fun. And so let's put that another way. Older adults are more likely to use porn for arousal. Uh, those 25 to 50-year-olds tend to use uh, for what does this say, Uh, tend to use for getting sex tips or to set a mood with a partner. Being less risky than actual sex is a higher motivation among both teens and older adults for different reasons, presumably. Now, it goes on and has a a section in their report that they entitled The Morality of Porn. Let's, Let's take a little look at what the morality of porn is all about. One of the favorable realities uncovered by the research is the degree of transparency respondents display on the topic. In other words, folks really aren't all that reticent to discuss this when they're asked. Porn is quite researchable. Now, catch this. Most Americans believe porn is, quote, bad for society. But that attitude is actually shifting It's shifting yearly toward neutrality or even good for society. That shift is taking place generationally. In other words, the younger a respondent is, the more likely they are to say that porn is actually neutral or good for society. The older respondent is, the more likely they are to say that porn is bad for society. And I think that that is hitting on probably... Uh, a pretty important focal point of a lot of what we're seeing in society these days, given that things that we used to say uh, were not good, we might have even said that they were bad, we're more likely in society to be accepting of, uh, and maybe not even just a neutral acceptance, but we're willing to go out now and say those are actually good. And actually, there's something wrong with you if you don't accept it as good. And there's something really wrong with you if you say that that is bad. So, I think there's scripture to back me up on this. We're basically saying these days that that which is good is evil, and uh, that what we call evil is good, In other words, everything is just upside down. And we see that with society on the issue of pornography. As generations, younger generations, are shifting towards saying it's actually not just neutral, it's actually good for society. 
They also point out that only a small minority of adults who use porn report much guilt about it. Teens are more likely uh, to experience feelings of guilt, although it's still a minority of teenagers who experience any guilt about using pornography. Now, interestingly, practicing Christians are twice as likely as others to experience guilt about their pornography use. I'd hate to say that I find some comfort in that, but I, <laughs> in a sense, I kind of do. You know that at least Christians still have a sense of guilt about them. I'm not suggesting we need to walk around, you know, being constantly guilt-ridden, but when you're doing something that clearly is kind of out of the ordinary, doesn't fit with the historic teachings of the biblical Christian church, uh, might be considered, actually is considered by said church as sexually inappropriate, then yeah, you ought to feel a little bit of guilt about that. In fact, perhaps you may need to feel a lot of guilt about that. Teens and young adults have encouraging and accepting conversations toward porn, according to the Barner research. When they talk about porn with their friends, 89% of teens and 95% of young adults say that they do so in a neutral, accepting, or encouraging way. Let's pick that apart for a moment. 89% of teens... 95% of young adults say that when they're talking about porn with their peers, with their friends, with their social group, that they are either neutral, accepting, or encouraging about it. And those are three different descriptions. Neutral, not the same as accepting. Accepting, not the same as encouraging. But I think what you see there is, again, that drift toward an acceptance of this in society. Uh, only 1 in 20 young adults and one in ten teens say their friends think viewing pornography is a bad thing. Teens and young adults uh, view not recycling as more immoral than viewing porn. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to let you think about that for a moment. Teens and young adults view not recycling as more immoral than viewing Pornography. 32% say viewing porn is usually or always wrong compared to 56% who say recycling is usually or always wrong. Again, just letting that, I'm letting it sink in on me. I, I don't know what your reaction to that is. I'm, I'm actually finding myself a little bit speechless on that. Goes on to talk about the screen age. Pornography is basically a digital media these days. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember the days of uh, the magazines that were hidden behind the counter at the corner uh, uh, drugstore and such. And, well, we're a far cry from that, and we're a far cry from uh, nudity on HBO and such uh, that we used to see as kids. The porn industry has. Uh, really capitalized on this digital industry that we uh, that we all have, as I said in the opening segment, probably become a little bit of a slave to. Uh, and uh, porn has actually been one of the driving forces behind the advancement of the digital age and the internet and uh, better resources and such. And 
it, it, it's it's absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, Barner tells us that most teens are sexting. Let me spell that out for you. S-E-X-T-I-N-G. Sexting as its name implies or should imply. In case you haven't picked up on that, that would be texting. Having sex text. Um, so... <laughs> You can use your imagination. If you need to Google it, just be careful. 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image, and 41% have sent one through text. I'm going to recite those stats one more time, because we're talking almost one of two. 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image. 41% have actually sent one via text. Let's, let's, let's leave the teens out of this for a moment. Let's talk about porn and pastors, because Barner has really uh, dug into this, and um, this, this, uh, this should be a wake-up call for us. And again, as I said before, you know, uh, we, we need to make sure that we're not putting our, uh, our priest, our pastors, our clergy on a pedestal when they need to actually be on a prayer list. Uh, they are just as vulnerable. In fact, they may even be more vulnerable to uh, the ills of society and the temptations of evil. Barner reports that most pastors, 57%, and 64% of youth pastors admit that they have... Uh, you might think I'm about to say have viewed porn. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to repeat the stats before I tell you what they're talking about. 57% of pastors, 64% of youth pastors admit that they have struggled with porn, either currently or in the past. Struggled with. That implies more than just have viewed it, have struggled with it. Like, you know, having problems, perhaps maybe being addicted to it. Overall, 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors admit that they currently struggle with using porn. About 12% of youth pastors and 5% of pastors say they are addicted to porn. Let me repeat that again. 12% of youth pastors, 5% of pastors, admit that they are actually addicted to porn. My my my! This is a uh, this is an interesting uh, report. If if you want to learn more about this, I would encourage you. Uh, you can Google this online. The Barner Research Institute uh, always does a wonderful job with uh, the research that they conduct. They're not afraid to to get to the core of things as they affect uh, people of faith, and in particular as it affects uh, Christians. And you know what, folks? That's not necessarily. Uh, a bad thing. We shouldn't have to run away from the reality and truth of um, what's out there. If we're going to fix something, we kind of need to know what it is we're out to fix, and it needs to be identified. And I think that uh, Barner is one of those uh, institutes that's done a uh, a pretty good job of uh, helping us figure some of these things out. So you want to learn more about that? It's a pretty big report. You can find it online. You can Google Barner Research, B-A-R-N-A. Again, they do do a fine job with a lot of faith-based research and a lot of uh, research about sociocultural issues 
that uh, we're facing today, not only in America, but around the world. When we come back on Kairoscope, we're going to be talking about what's going on on these college campuses these days. You may or may not be surprised. You may or may not be surprised. You know, we're heading into exam time. And uh, that's always a stressful time for the young folks. But you won't believe what some of the college campuses are doing to help kids focus and deal and cope with the stressors of being a student. All of that and more when we return on Kairoscope. If you live in the greater New Orleans area and you're searching for a church home that teaches and preaches God's Word without compromise, features traditional, liturgical-style worship, offers Sunday school for children and adults, and is made up of individuals and families that love God and love each other, then Good Shepherd Church is where you should be. Sunday morning services and midweek Holy Eucharist each Thursday evening. Good Shepherd Church. 5122 West Esplanade Avenue in Metairie and online at gscmet.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Kairoscope. If you like what you're listening to and you'd like to support this media ministry, go online to kairoscope.com, C-H-I-R-H-O-S-C-O-P-E.com, and press the donate button. Thanks and blessings from Kairoscope. Adopt You As Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No. Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. If you live in the greater New Orleans area and you're searching for a church home that teaches and preaches God's Word without compromise, features traditional, liturgical-style worship, offers Sunday school for children and adults, and is made up of individuals and families that love God and love each other, then Good Shepherd Church is where you should be. Sunday morning services and midweek Holy Eucharist each Thursday evening. Good Shepherd Church, 5122 West Esplanade Avenue in Metairie and online at gscmet.com. From the Shepherd's Voice Studios of Good Shepherd Church, here's the host of Kairoscope, the Reverend Randall Graff. Yeah, back on uh, board with you here, Kairoscope, Rev Graf, your host coming at you. Uh, promised in this segment, we talk a little bit about what's going on on college campuses these days. We're approaching that time of the year where lots of students are stressed. They're ending up their semester having to do papers, having to do exams. You know what? 
it's part of life. We've all been there. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be looking out for students and teaching them coping skills. But I'm really seriously calling to question some of the things that are happening on college campus today. Uh, in fact, the collegefix.com reports that um, the State University of New York at Plattsburgh recently brought in a small herd of, catch this, miniature donkeys. Miniature donkeys. They brought these on campus so that the, the students could better cope with the pressures of test taking and uh, exams and writing papers at the end of the semester and such. Miniature donkeys. Well, you know, not to be outdone, uh, there are others who have done this before. In fact, uh, Stanford University is reported to have had therapy llamas. Therapy llamas. Is that how you say that? It looks like it should be llamas because it's two L's. I don't know. Of course it's not. But, you know, what I, What do I know about llamas? Not much. But I, I suspect they stink. I just do. I don't know. I, I can't see anything therapeutic about hanging out with a, a llama. But Stanford University's brought them in. Uh, others have done other de-stressing sorts of things for their campuses, uh, including Therapy horses. <laughs> Coloring. Coloring. Most of us leave that behind in kindergarten. Massages. Okay, you know what? I might be getting somewhere with that. Fortnite tourneys. I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure I even know what Fortnite is. Perhaps I'm just a little too old. I do know it's a game. Uh, but again, what are we teaching? What are we teaching students? Are we teaching them true coping skills? Are we teaching them... Uh, how they can handle their own stressors in life or are they expecting that when they get out of college and they get a job in the quote-unquote real world that when things get hectic that their boss is going to come in and bring in some therapy horses for them. I, I got to tell you, I don't think it works like that in the real world. University of Nebraska at Omaha uh, put together free putt-putt for their students. Penn State had art therapy. University of Idaho had sunrise yoga. Arizona State had demonstrations on how to make zen jars and succulents. Zen jars and succulents. You know what, folks? I may have to Google that. Don't tell anybody. But I don't know what zen jars or succulents are. But Arizona State, they, they brought in people to teach the students how to do this during exam week to help them cope with their stresses. you imagine that? you imagine in a busy church, the elders say, you know what, the pastor's really having a rough time right now. We just got through Holy Week services. We're, we're going to bring in somebody to help him and the entire staff learn how to make Zen jars and succulents, and if that's not good enough, we'll get some donkeys to throw in there, too. St. Charles Community College had Play-Doh Day. Play-Doh. Again, this is college, not kindergarten. Play, Play-Doh. And then uh, the uh, collegefix.com reports that in a, one of the more unorthodox offerings, a tweet shows an apparent terror card reading at William Patterson University as part of a de-stress fest tarot card reading that one i've got to tell you that really that as a christian that should stop us make and uh, stop us t- 
take uh, make us boy i don't know what i'm saying should uh, cause us to pause and reflect you know i do this show on a pot of coffee and apparently it's not enough uh tarot card readings that folks is um that's divination now i know a lot of folks the intellectual egghead types on university campuses they would say oh don't be silly don't be silly that's not the case but I, I guarantee you the person who is selling that, sitting there, doing the tarot card reading on the crystal ball or whatever the case may be, they believe that stuff. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you probably should believe that that has some sort of reality about it as well. Uh, it's clearly, it's clearly not allowed. Deuteronomy 18th chapter talks about that 10th verse. Acts 16.16 talks about fortune-telling, divination. This is not something Christians should be exposed to, be around, endorsing, or playing with. But the fact of the matter is, in the secular world in which we live, that's an okay thing. You can bring that stuff on campus, expose people to that, and it's just part of de-stressing. But now... Let's take that to the next level. Let's think about this for a moment. Suppose the same campus that did the de-stressing tarot card reading. Let's suppose, oh, I don't know, the local Anglican priest from the church, we'll call him Father Randall, he goes over and says, you know what? I have, um, I'd like to set up a table. I have some resources I'd like to offer students about stress. I'd like to give them some scriptural verses that they can read about what God says about the human condition and stress. And I've actually got some uh, little flash drives here that I'd like to give them as a gift. It's got some soft music playing on it, and uh, there are some prayers that are prayed over that soft music. And uh, I'm going to invite these uh, these stress students to just take some time out to listen to that and to play uh, to pray along as they play these audios so that they, too, can de-stress using Holy Scripture. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you wouldn't get an appointment with the uh, Dean of Student Affairs or whoever, whoever runs that sort of thing. And the irony about that is, is that universities today are one of those places that claim to be uh, some of the most diverse places on the planet. They, they, they claim diversity. They claim inclusion as something that's an important value for them. In fact, I also found this article on the collegefix.com about the University of Iowa where they've earmarked, catch this, $2.7 million for its Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. That's a division the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, $2.7 million earmarked for the fiscal year. Uh, formerly known, the article says, formerly known as the Chief Diversity Office. So we have an office of diversity becoming a division, an entire division within a campus. $2.7 million earmarked to it. And uh, the goal, according to the University of of Iowa is providing leadership and resources to advance UI's diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, coordinating central diversity, 
equity, and inclusion efforts, advancing recruitment and retention of faculty, students, and staff, enhancing a welcoming, respectful, and inclusive climate for all. There should be an asterisk there because it's really not for all. For all and connecting with community diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Now, why would I say there should be an asterisk there? Because the reality is, I guarantee you, they are not welcoming to all. And that if you, Christian, were to go onto that campus and say, look, give me a booth, let me have a table, I want to pray with students during exams. It's their choice. I'm not going to sit there and force them to come. I just want to be available for them. I'm from the local church, and I believe that would be helpful to them. I guarantee you, they're not going to let you do that. Because they're not really about being diverse and inclusive. They're only diverse with the diversity that they want to include. And if you don't think like them, and in fact, if you are a Christian, a real Bible-believing Christian, you don't have any place with them. That's, that's just a fact. This article goes on to say that the division's website lists 32 individuals under the, in the staff directory under this division of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and uh, that they also have budgeted $36,000 for seven student workers. So the students are getting in on this. They're not only reaping the benefits of this office for whatever work this office allegedly does for the betterment of students, but they're getting some they're getting some uh, work. They're getting some money. They're getting some uh, paycheck out of this. This report goes on to say the school also spends $5,000 on food and space for faculty of color reception activities. And they started in 2015 with a mixer to connect faculty of color on campus. The program expanded to include the Office of the Provost in the conversation, specifically to host informational webinars from the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity, of which UI is a member. Um, it's interesting when they use uh, terms like, and, and this is this is common throughout our culture today, terms like people of color. And what that means is any color other than uh, the color of the majority race. And, and that's what this is really about. It's about race. It's really not about people's skin colors, uh, which really shouldn't have much bearing in our life anyway. But it does. We're, we're, we're flipping back to segregating and selecting and grouping people based on things that, frankly, they have no control over. You have no control over the color of your skin. Yet at the University of Iowa, skin color comes under their office, I'm sorry, their division of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This uh, this report from thecollegefix.com goes on to say another initiative being funded through the office is the Women's Leadership Program. The ultimate goal of the program is to hear stories, lessons, etc. from women in upper-level positions at the institution with hopes to encourage and inspire others to follow. All sessions are recorded and put on the website with discussion guides for folks to use in their units after the sessions. It's interesting. Why, again, are we segregating just women? I bet you if you did uh, a statistical analysis of the faculty at the university, you're going to find that it's not a 50-50 breakdown. It probably favors females 
anyway. But this is going after hearing stories and lessons from women in upper-level positions. Why do we treat people differently? Because of their gender. Now, I know that if you're listening to this podcast just six months from now, that's probably going to be an outdated statement because it doesn't even seem like gender is something that is uh, a stable construct these days. It appears to be, uh, in the minds of many delusional people, some sort of social construct. We just make it up as we go along. This report goes on to say that some of the other items on the budget include $8,000 for a diversity survey, $2,500 for a safe zone. I wonder what a safe zone is. What What are you safe from? Are you safe from the male faculty who aren't, uh, what, upper level? Are you, you safe from the people who are not of color? <laughs> and $1,000 for a cup of justice. Cup of justice. It goes on to define that. The cup of justice program seeks to promote intergenerational and interdisciplinary dialogue about social justice, civil rights, turn the page, and civic engagement. The program has offered four to six speakers every year since its inception in 2014. You know, that's just vague enough that it almost sounds like it's a good thing. And it probably really is a good thing with good intentions. The problem is, folks, at the university level, good intentions have just become the manifestation of absolute insanity. Insanity. This is why we're letting college students have Play-Doh Day and bringing in llamas for them to have therapeutic time with. $36,000 and set aside money of that budget for student workers to work in this division of uh, put the paper down and see if I can remember diversity, equity, and inclusion. A $2.7 million budget. I think they said, what, 37 full-time employees in that division? Yet, I would bet you Like on most campuses, their student health services, their mental health services in particular, have probably been slashed in their budget. The the folks who can actually do some real, good, helpful things for the students who are experiencing the stress of college, the everyday stressors of daily living as a young adult, those those are being they're being slashed, they're being gutted. And what remains, oftentimes, are professionals who are not necessarily as qualified as the professionals that they've gotten rid of for cost saving. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, it's it's replacing uh, psychiatrists on campus with uh, clinical social workers. And don't get me wrong, I have nothing against clinical social workers. They do good work. Licensed professional counselors, same thing. But there's something unique that a psychiatrist can offer to a campus that's in need. There's there's uniqueness that psychologists can offer that clinical social workers and licensed professional counselors don't offer. But what we do is we we scale this back because it's it's cheaper to hire folks with a master's degree than with a doctoral degree. And so the students really don't get the help they need. But the money gets sent to the division forgot the name again the division of uh, equity inclusion and diversity and i think i got them out of order there but um that's the reality of campuses today in america it's absolute lunacy it's actually quite 
sad, but it's where we are in the United States of America in the year 2019 on college campuses. Hey, this is Reverend Graff. This has been Kairoscope Episode 1. I thank you if you've stuck it out all the way through. You. You should be, I don't know, nominated for something important. Maybe an award. Maybe canonization. I don't know. Maybe we can get you one of those jobs at the University of Iowa since you stuck through with uh, this very diverse podcast. Sarcasm intended there uh, from the Shepherd's Voice Studios at Good Shepherd Church in Metairie, Louisiana. I'm Reverend Randall Graff. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate that you've been around and along for the ride on this first edition. I invite you to subscribe, check us out for more, and if you can help, do so. You can find us online at kairoscope.com.